Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> this morning's uh, scripture reading is from Jonah 1, 17 through 2, 10. It's Jonah's prayer. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Brandon Peterson, and my wife Jen and I are the lead pastors of Resurrection Life NYC, and we are a brand new church we launched back in April on Upper East Side, up at East 95th Street. We meet at a school called Trevor Day School between uh, 1st and 2nd Avenue on 95th Street, and God has just really been good. And one of the blessings that we have really been able to experience as a new congregation here in the city is uh, the partnership that is emerging with Trinity, so with Pastor James and with the leadership of Trinity. Um, like he mentioned earlier, we've been able to share musicians, we've been able to share uh, some resources, we've been able to combine uh, for some joint services, such as like our this past Christmas Eve service, and really has been, um, you know, church planting uh, can be a lonely place to be at times. And it is wonderful that uh, the it, when the church in the city takes it seriously, this mandate that we're here, that, that, that this is a kingdom thing. It's not just an um, individual siloed church thing. And I know James has a real heart for that. And so we're very appreciative of, of that. Before we jump into Jonah, I want to talk just a little bit about our story, bring us up to 2018 and how in the world did we get here. Um, Jen and I were, uh, we grew up in the Midwest, actually, John, who played piano, John and I went to undergrad at the same school, only about 15 years apart. <laughs> so we were both, uh, we, we were, all three of us, Jen and John and I, were all music majors at uh, the University of Northern Iowa. And after, and partway through my, my, my college, I really sensed God calling me into ministry, but I thought up to that point I was going to be a musician. That's what I was going to do. And obviously, a place like New York is like the mecca for people who want to do that sort of thing. 
But um, after we graduated from college, we were called to move to Texas, to, to the Dallas, Texas area, to be on staff at a church. And so we were on staff at a church, in the, at the same church in the Dallas, Texas area for over 15 years. And um, in, in, in the roles of worship pastor, I was an executive pastor for a while and doing some preaching and some other things. And it was three years ago, really this month, that New York City, the idea of New York City came into our minds. And it was through some conversations that God had orchestrated, some divine appointments and some providential moments that God said, you know what? What he did is he pointed our gaze towards this city. And it was like every TV show we watched, everything we um, saw, every book we read, every, everything was like New York City, New York City. We're like, okay, God, what are you doing here? And the opportunity came to come to Manhattan and to pray about planting a, a new church. And we thought, oh, God, I don't know that we have a clue what that means. We had never planted a church before. We had never lived in a city like this. You know, we were living in our 3,000-square-foot house in the suburbs, and we had no clue what this could even mean. Um, and maybe a little bit like Jonah, you know, there was this word of the Lord that came and said, uh, go to that great city. And what could that look like um, to preach this message of repentance in a place that needs it. Um, so we said yes. And we were, and when we said, I remember the moment we said yes, we were both terrified and excited all at the same time. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but we had just had no, we knew we were in for the ride of a lifetime and the adventure of a lifetime, and it certainly has been. So we moved here uh, summer of 2015. We uh, moved up to the Upper East Side, 94th and Lexington, and our kids we have two kids as well, and so they jumped into school here. We began to just pray about, God, where would you want us to plant this church, and what, uh, what, what would you have for us in terms of ministry here in the city? And it ended up, we, we planted the church about three blocks from where we were living at the time. But we began to build a team. We began to build our launch team, and then this past spring, God enabled us to launch Resurrection Life NYC here on the Upper East Side. And so uh, that's a little bit of our story. And um, Jen and I will be around afterwards if you want to talk to us at all about that. What was that like? What is that? What, what is Resurrection Life NYC? We'd love to have that conversation with you. But thank you so much for your partnership in our ministry as we begin here in the city. So let's talk about Jonah. Last week, Pastor James began this series with some really, really great background information about the book of Jonah, where it came from, sort of the context of Jonah himself, where, you know, who was he, where did he come from? And so here we have, and I'll, I'll just touch on a few of those highlights as we dive in, but here we have Jonah, who is this very interesting and very complex prophet. And a prophet in the Old Testament was an individual who received a call from God to be God's spokesperson, often connected to some crisis that was about to occur. And the, the job of the prophet then was to go and announce God's message of judgment and or deliverance um, to Israel and to other nations. And we see here in the, the first chapter of Jonah, that, which was talked about last week, we see this word of the Lord that came to Jonah in this new exciting call on Jonah's life to go and to preach this gospel or this good news of repentance to a new people. So in the 8th century BC, this famous prophet, because Jonah was already well known, he was a famous prophet at the time, gets this call from God and decides, uh-uh, I'm going to run the other way. 
I'm going to go the other direction. And so Jonah begins to run. And he begins to run. And, and um, Jonah's interesting because Jonah is described as this pious prophet, but yet he's disobedient. And, and as we will see today, Jonah is thankful, and we just heard this psalm of, of thanksgiving, but Jonah's still also unrepentant. He's a complex character. And I think the reason we don't know a lot about Jonah is because God's giving us an opportunity to, to, to jump into his story in the book of Jonah and to embody who Jonah really is. Uh, I have a pr- professor in seminary that said, it's not that we take application from the Bible, it's that we, we, we are able to embody who these characters were in the narrative of the Bible, and out of that, to understand what God's saying to us today and how that uh, then applies to our life. So Jonah is being disobedient. He's running. He's in this uh, period of rebellion in his life. And disobedience is part of the human sinful pattern that we see all the way back to Adam, right? And, and we, we see it all the way through. We see in, in, in Jonah chapter 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And what God is doing there is God is saying, you know what, I care about those people over there, and I'm appointing you and calling you and asking you to go and to preach this message of repentance. But he runs. When Adam and Eve sinned, that first sin, what did they do? They hid. Um, I remember the, the story of Elijah in the Old Testament. And Elijah, he has all these amazing victories before these false prophets. And in fact, in one fell swoop, you know, fire comes from heaven and burns up hundreds of these prophets. And, and, and Elijah's on, he's on uh, cloud nine. He's on the top of the mountain. And what does Elijah do when Jezebel comes and threatens him? He runs. In fact, he runs for 100 miles, just like 100 miles. That's like how many marathons? Four marathons? You know, and he's, he is out of there. So Jonah tries to outrun God. He certainly knew better, but, but running is what people do when they disobey God. See, disobedience, by its very nature, separates us from a holy God. And one would think that Jonah knew what he was doing and that he wouldn't actually escape God's reach, but he was running, and he was running for his life. You know, it happens to me just about every week. Um, I want to quit. Anybody else? I mean, let's be real. Let's be real. Um, and in fact, this fall was probably the most intense season of our life. We just launched the, our new church in April, kind of muddled through summer. You know how summer is here in New York City. And we were like ready for the fall, and we just attacked it with everything we had. And we, we, the fall was great. God did some amazing and amazing things. But I got to about December this fall. And uh, both Jen and I were also taking some seminary classes through the whole thing, and it's a new church, and we just like every, feels like every uh, new, ter- you know, inch of new territory we get is just like clawing our way forward. And I got to th- this point in December where I just wanted to quit. And I wasn't going to quit, but I felt like it. I felt like I was coming to the end of, of myself. And I found myself in this place, and Michael Hyatt, who is an author, leadership author, productivity author, calls where I was at in December the messy middle. The messy middle. Let me explain that to you. See, in the beginning, things are exciting. 
there's always energy at the beginning. And think about the last thing that you started or the last job that you started or the last um, whatever that you started, marriage maybe. It's exciting. The beginning isn't the issue. You know, when we start a new business, it's exciting because we see the potential and it's all potential and it's exciting. Maybe we go back to school and we start a new degree and it's exciting. That first semester is amazing. We start a new church and it's exciting and it's amazing and God is doing incredible things. We begin a new marriage. We, we bring that uh, baby home from the hospital for the first time. We start our dream job. Or maybe it's when we began our relationship with Jesus. Americana artist Paul Thorne sings, everybody looks good at the starting line. <laughs> See, starting is simple. It's progress that's hard. The hill is steeper than you thought. The road is longer than you assumed. You're not sure you have what it takes to finish. Brene Brown, in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, blames our culture's reluctance um, on, on the fun, the fast, and the easy. That's what she calls it. She says, we're conditioned to want results now, tomorrow at the very latest. We want it without expending a lot of effort, and of course we must have fun doing it, otherwise we're on to the next thing. She says, other than a few lucky exceptions, most payoffs are not immediate. See, the start isn't the issue. And it wasn't the issue for Jonah either. He was already famous as a prophet in Israel. His ministry career had started well. He was off to a great start in his life. He was well-respected. He had already achieved considerable success. So here is Jonah, perhaps in the middle of his career, and God has this bold, exciting new mission for Jonah to bring his, his love and renewal to a godless and a wicked place. And Jonah ran. If I'm being honest with you, I was on the verge of running last month. I was questioning my identity. I was questioning my calling. I was comparing my ministry to the ministry of other church planters in the city. I know I'm the only one that does that. I was living under this narrative that the most important thing about me was my achievement, was, was that my worth was, was, is defined by my success, that my, that my fellow, and my fellowship and my communion with God during this season was lacking. The problem with my situation is that I was finding myself running from the very word of the Lord that called me to do this in the first place. I wasn't openly disobeying. I was reading the Bible and praying every day. I was studying scripture and preaching sermons, and, and people were listening and making significant spiritual decisions as a result. And it wasn't that I was far from God, but I noticed in my life that I was losing the sound of his still small voice gradually day by day. And I think many of us here, if we're honest with ourselves, are living that way outside of God's will and outside of God's fellowship, and we have been running. And the still small voice of God in our life is, has been diminishing and diminishing and diminishing over time. Life isn't how we think it should, like how we think it should be. And we realize we're in danger. That new business is off to a slow start. You're, you're, you're past that first semester of the new degree, and now it's just work. <laughs> um, you, you realize that starting a new church in New York City really is as hard as people said it was going to be. That new marriage doesn't feel so new anymore. We realize that that baby we brought home, it, 
poops and spits up and doesn't allow you to sleep at all. <laughs> Keeping it real. Your dream job, that one that you just worked your entire life for, you realize comes with a narcissistic boss and more hours than you can even imagine. You realize that your relationship with Jesus that was so vibrant and, and great at the beginning has become stagnant and you're just not sure where to go next. And we experience pain, we experience broken relationships, we experience burnout. We lose the joy in the mission that we initially heard. And we come to this place like Jonah where we're running and we're running and at some point there's nowhere else to run and we find that we're drowning. It feels like the waters of life are just surrounding us and it seems like if we continue that there's just no hope. That's where Jonah was. He was running from the word of the Lord. But God caught up with Jonah and he cast Jonah into the sea. That's where we are in verse 116. Jonah's drowning at that point. But then it happened. And, and, and Jonah, he kind of sat up and he began to take inventory of his situation. And it was more amazing than it even first appeared. He could still breathe. His dige the, the digestive juices of this monster, whatever it was, that he found himself in was not destroying his body. It appeared that the acids were not even burning his eyes. And the body heat of this thing, this whale, probably a whale, probably not a fish, was not unbearable. Jonah was experiencing a miracle. God was preserving him somehow. And he saw now that it was God who actually cast him into the depth, into the heart of the sea. See, in the past, Jonah had walked close to God. In fact, in the days of Jonah's obedience, he had been chosen by Jehovah, or he had chosen Jehovah above all of the idols that his fellow Israelites were worshiping. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 12. In his folly, though, he had supposed he could run from the omnipresence of God. But then he finds himself safe. Not what he imagined, but safe. What was Jonah's response? That's what I want to look at here today is Jonah's response. He, he writes a psalm of thanksgiving. Now, I'm pretty sure he didn't write this while he was in the belly. He maybe didn't have paper or parchment or whatever they were using at the time. But where he places it in the story is while he was in the belly, he writes this psalm of thanksgiving. And I want to look at this psalm of thanksgiving and to look at God as Jonah's deliverer. What does that mean for us today? So the first thing we realize as we look at this psalm of thanksgiving, and is that Jonah recognized at some point that God was his only hope. We see it there in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. He was in distress. He didn't know where else to go. Does God lead us sometimes to a place where we have nowhere else to turn? I think he does. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah recognized God was his only hope. And then the second thing is, Jonah admits that he was running from God. In verse 4, uh, Jonah says, I said, 
I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me and deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Jonah admits he was running from God, that he was banished from God's sight, that he had been running. The third thing that we we see in this psalm is that Jonah proclaims God as his deliverer. But you, Lord my God, brought me life up from the pit. Brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And then the fourth thing we see in this psalm of thanksgiving is that Jonah forsakes idols and returns to worshiping God alone. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. So what idols was Jonah clinging to before? I don't know exactly. We don't know a lot about Jonah's story. We don't know where he was when he decided that it was time to run from God. But I wonder if Jonah's idols may have been along the same lines of things that we deal with today. Uh, self-interest? That, hey, I have things pretty, pretty, pretty good right now, and I don't think I want to go into that place where I might even be killed. I think I'm just going to hang on here and run. Uh, maybe racism? The Assyrians hated the Israelites and vice versa. Comfort? Um, not a comfortable assignment that God was calling him to. Maybe it was the idol of success. You know what, God? I'm already well-known. I have everything I need. Um, That might mess it up if it doesn't go the way it should. So, So what happens? Jonah realizes that God is the God who delivers. He ultimately then obeys, and then Nineveh repents. God delivers, Jonah obeys, and Nineveh repents. So my question is, how today are you running from the word of the Lord in your own life? I was. And you might say, but, but Brandon, you're, you're a Christian. You're a pastor. You've already said yes to God. <laughs> you've sold everything. You've sacrificed. You moved from Texas to New York to plant a church. What do you mean you were running from God? I think Matthew, the gospel writer, actually gives us a bit of a clue of this. So Matthew writes this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 40 and 41. He says, For just as Noah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. And I think what Jesus is saying there, these are Jesus' words, what Jesus is saying here is that the people of Nineveh, when they heard the word of the Lord, they repented. They repented. To to Jonah's uh, dismay, they repented. And here Jesus, in the book of Matthew, is talking to religious leaders. 
people in the church, so to speak, people who should know the voice of God and should be able to hear the voice of God. And what, jo- and, and what Jesus is saying is that the people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment and will condemn this generation and will condemn you because they repented with no sign, yet I am here, I've given you every sign you could ever imagine and ever need, and yet you haven't repented. That's what he's, that's what he's telling the religious leaders of his day. He's saying sometimes the Gentiles or the Ninevites are more ready to hear truth than those in God's family, which included Jonah and the religious leaders. Could it it be that those farthest from God are actually more ready to hear the truth than those of us in God's family? Could it be that we have churches full of people who are actually running from the word of the Lord? Could it be that Jonah's idols are the same as our idols? Could it be that God is asking us to proclaim his salvation in a great city like Nineveh, but we are content to run and to avoid? And I'm actually so thankful that I am able to preach this message because I've had to preach it to myself this week. And I came up with four things that I think God is telling me what he wants to tell me, and I think he, he gave me these things. And I don't know that these are yours, but maybe these will help you because perhaps you're at a place where you're running from God and he has a word for you. So here is, uh, here's my messy middle of the fall of 2017, and here are the things I think God was telling me. I think the first thing God was telling me is that Jesus is better. I mean, Jonah was in the belly of that whale for three days. Jesus was in the grave for three days. And we have access to his resurrection power in our lives. Jesus is better than any obstacle we run into, anything that we run into in our lives. Jesus is better. Number two, he didn't call me to build his church. But he called me to faithfulness. Number three. This is a big one for me. The idol of success and the fear of failure are a powerful replacement for God. The idol of success and the fear of failure are a powerful replacement for God. In fact, Michael Hyatt, who is a Christian, by the way, the author, says the fear of failure is a powerful motivator in our lives. Why do we do what we do? Is the motivation because of the mission God has placed us on? Or is it the idol of success and the fear of failures causing us to strive and to ultimately potentially burn out? I think that's what God was telling me. And then number four, God's mission begins with my relationship with God, not my work for God. Friends, Jesus became the better Noah. Better Jonah, not Noah. He is also the better Noah. But he became the better Jonah. He overcame three days in the grave, making his resurrection power available to each and every one of us. Why do we harden our hearts toward him? He's pursuing you. And even though you might be running, the good news is he's still pursuing you. So in our striving, my prayer is that we might find rest in Jesus. In our running, my prayer is that we might once again find joy in the mission that he has for us. Rebellion cannot join hands with communion. He 
loves you. He, he's called you to be a part of his unfolding story in this world, in this city. Is it time for you to stop running? Is it time to experience, once again, God's grace in your life? Is it time to rediscover or maybe discover for the first time God's unique vision and calling on your life? He's faithful. He was faithful to Jonah. He'll be faithful to you. Jesus is better. And you can once again place your faith, your trust, your hope completely in the person of Jesus. It's good news. It's good news for you. That's good news for me. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. And God, I pray that whatever this word needs to be for each and every one of us in the, in the pews all around this place, God, that you would clearly speak to each and every one of us. God, for me, I know this week you spoke to me in a significant way, and I thank you. I thank you for that. Jesus is better. I thank you. And for those in the room today who are, you would call yourself a Christian, um, you are a Christian, but the word of the Lord has been faint for you, and maybe you've closed yourself off to it. Maybe you're running in some way from what that means. And I would pray today that, that you would turn again to face a God who gave up everything for you and say yes again. And maybe there are some in the room today that you've never bowed your knee. You've never said yes to Jesus for the first time. And today can be your day. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He died on that cross for our sins. He spent three days in that grave and he ultimately conquered sin and he conquered death. So no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been in your life, if you say yes to Jesus, he will be faithful to save you. For everyone, the Bible says, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Holy Spirit, continue to be here in this place today. We thank you for your word. Pray that we would have ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.